Welcome to Goat Valley Campgrounds. Looking for a place to escape your busy life and reconnect with nature? Goat Valley Campgrounds features 300 acres of quiet forest and peaceful scenery for you to enjoy. Come meet Kate. She runs the place like your parents before her. We know you'll enjoy your stay as long as you behave yourself and follow the rules. Your survival depends on it. The No Sleep Podcast presents Goat Valley Campgrounds by Bonnie Quinn. Chapter 4 Are you familiar with the emerald ash borer? It's an invasive pest in North America that destroys ash trees. On campgrounds like mine, we require that people buy local firewood instead of bringing their own in across state lines. Otherwise, if they bring in tainted wood, they could introduce the ash borer to my campground and destroy my trees. It only spreads from there. Firewood isn't allowed to leave the campground either. If the ash borer is already here, it may have burrowed into the wood and they may take it home with them. Sometimes, I think my campground is already infected. Something settled in the land and turned it old, and now it continues to corrupt everything it touches. It bored into the trees, sank into the soil, and lingers in the shadows of the forest. And like the ash borer secretly infesting the firewood being loaded into the back of a witless camper's truck, We never know if something we bring into the campground has fallen victim to this rot. The only way we find out is the hard way. My name is Kate. This is Goat Valley Campgrounds. This is not a pleasant story. Perhaps more unpleasant than the rest simply because it involves animals. I'm loath to describe things in such a way that they necessitate warnings to my audience, but perhaps I can scrub my soul of the screams of the foals by doing so. I think that's warning enough. My most vivid memories of my father are while he was resplendent with joy at the thought of keeping horses. The mundane memories all blend together. Him sitting at the dinner table, him sitting in his study leafing through his books, him helping carry lumber to some part of the campsite. I cannot tell you any of these moments individually because they're unremarkable points in the fabric of my life. The months leading up to the horses, however, are like gold thread woven into the tapestry, catching the light and reflecting it back at me. They shine because he's shown. It's all settled. I wrote the check today and they'll be delivered tomorrow. They? We're getting horses. I remember him coming outside to where I was playing in the yard, and I, only dimly aware of these proceedings, stood there dumbly until he picked me up and set me astride on the swing. By this time next year, you'll have a horse of your own and be riding it around the campsite. Mom said we weren't going to get horses. I finally talked her into it. We're going to build a barn, Louisa is going to offer riding lessons, and the campground will get a portion of the proceeds. But I get my own horse and don't have to share it, right? You might need to share it a little. He bought me a saddle for Christmas, while the barn sat furnished but empty until the spring. 
It was for both of us, my younger brother and I, but I knew in my heart that it was for me. Already my brother had failed to display much interest in the campground, and even at that young age, we knew who would be taking it over in the future. Then, when the snow melted, the horses arrived. My father didn't want to just own horses. He wanted to breed them. He had four mares and a stallion. No special bloodline, but fine, adequate horses. I remember Mother saying sourly that he was being too ambitious, that none of us had much experience with horses. But my father dismissed her concerns. We had someone on staff, Louisa, whose family did raise horses for a while, until they sold all but one. That last lies buried on their property, its head under the oak tree and the four halves of its torso at each corner of the field. Feels strange to be working with horses again. You still okay with this? Yeah, just bad memories. Yeah, plenty of those around here. Another story for another time, I suppose. Anyway, Louisa knew what to do and had been given a pay raise in preparation for her additional responsibilities. She lies buried in the cemetery. No need to do to her body what was done with her parents. That first year, all four mares gave birth. I claimed the biggest, a chestnut, as my own. I named it Chestnut. I wasn't an imaginative child. My brother at first refused to call any of them his own. He interacted with the horses grudgingly, perhaps resenting the attention our father was giving them. He was more like our mother. I took after our father, and I wondered if my brother sometimes wishes he had a closer relationship with Dad. He's never spoken about it. Around midsummer, I noticed that he was spending time with the small, dappled gray foal. He'd lean on the fence and stare at it for hours while it stood there staring back at him. I was young enough that I didn't think much of it, other than to assume my brother was weird, and honestly, growing up like that, we were both a little weird. I'm not sure I want the campground, though. I want to go be a doctor. What you want doesn't matter. This is about what you deserve. Kate will never go along. She doesn't have to agree. Who are you talking to? I was just talking to myself. This is why you don't have friends at school. You're weird. You don't have friends either. I think that's why my brother got married and I didn't. He left the campground behind when he went to college. I did not. I carried it with me and there was only room in my heart for the land. Near the end of the spring, my mom woke me up, saying that my father needed my help. He was in the horse pasture. I dressed and went to where he was, just outside the fence line. His clothing stained with mud with a pile of dirt nearby. I think I knew. When I hopped the fence and followed my father through the tall grass to a round spot of trampled grass, the earth stomped flat and soaked with blood. I think I knew. The foals were dead all but the little gray one that watched me as I helped drag their bodies to the waiting grave. I remember that I didn't cry. Autumn and winter passed, spring came, and the four mares once again gave birth to four foals. By then, the small dappled foal was no longer small, but a full-grown horse that towered over all the others. He suckled on the mares all through the previous summer, all four, not just his own mother, and he'd grown quickly because of it. He was beautiful, but wild, and only my brother could ride him. I hated him for it, watching him use the saddle that had been given to both of us but was really meant for me. I remember that this was the spring that my brother grew distant, 
Like he wasn't there, staring off into the distance and daydreaming. And I remember our parents getting cross with him repeatedly for it. I remember our father snapping at him, telling him to pull his head out of his ass. And I was shocked to hear the frustration in his voice. I didn't make the connection until I was older that he was worried about the horses, afraid that whatever killed the foals last year would return and it bled into every other aspect of his life. My father loved this land, but after we got rid of the horses, I think he resented it. One night in the early summer, I woke to the little girl calling for me. She went quiet when I sat up in bed. My bedroom was on the second floor, but that didn't stop her shadow from being visible through the sheer curtains over my window. What do you want? Your brother left the house. I'd had conversations with the little girl before. She stopped talking to me after my first period. The mark of adulthood, I suppose. She doesn't talk to adults. She only weeps. And no, I never got her to say anything about herself. We're not supposed to leave the house at night. He's gonna be in trouble. You should go after him. And the beast? Not here yet. Be sure to leave through the garage. I shoved the covers back and put on my shoes. The little girl hummed the entire time, and as I descended the stairs, her humming stopped and turned into weeping from just outside my parents' bedroom. I wasn't certain where to go as I left the yard via the driveway. It was the screaming of the foals that led me to the pasture. The barn doors were open. Father had taken to checking them every night compulsively and ensuring they were locked tight. The foals were out in the field. The big, dappled gray stallion was loose as well. My brother clung to its back. I watched from the fence as the stallion ran down one of the foals and kicked it, knocking its legs out from under it. And then it half-reared and came down, and I heard the crunch of bone from where I stood. The foal began to scream. I felt like I was frozen in place by the sound, helpless to watch as my brother slipped off the stallion's back and knelt over the wounded foal and slit its throat and the dapple gray horse bent its head and began to eat. It ripped the skin off in long strips, tossing its head back as it swallowed, and then buried its nose again in the full steaming body. It ate and ate, stripping muscle off bone, tearing open the organs and devouring those, leaving not a scrap of meat behind. This was how the foals died the previous year. This is what killed my chestnut, my brother and his big gray horse. I ran back to the house. It was close to dawn, so I went to my room and covered my ears with my hands and counted the minutes until the beast arrived. The little girl's screams reminded me of the foals in the field. The next morning, I helped my father bury the bones of the foals. I remember how angry he was and how my brother was no help at all, off in the corner of the pasture with his dapple gray stallion. The horse seemed even bigger now, fully as large as a Clydesdale, My father snapped at him over lunch, and I thought that perhaps today wasn't a good day to tell him what happened. Perhaps tomorrow, when Dad wasn't as upset. That's what almost got me killed. That night, I woke to the sound of scratching against my window. Kate, Kate, wake up! Go away, I'm tired, I don't want to talk! You have to open your eyes. You have to... It's fine. I'm awake. Are you... My brother stood over me in the darkness. I could barely see his outline, but he felt vacant. One of his arms was raised, and in his hand was a kitchen knife. I threw the stuffed bear I slept with at him on instinct. 
Then, while he batted that away, I seized the lamp off the nightside table and smashed it into the side of his face. From outside my window, the little girl screamed in fear, and I think that was what woke my parents up. They came running upstairs, flung on the light, and found me sitting on my bed with my brother groaning at my feet and bruises already swelling around his eye socket. He sometimes reminds me of the black eye I gave him. My retort is that he was going to kill me. Our parents took us downstairs and mom made hot chocolate while my brother held ice against his face. Tyler, you need to tell us what happened. We won't be mad. We just need to know. Did you talk to the man with no shadow? No, I didn't. I know better. Then who told you to attack your sister? I know you wouldn't do this on your own. Right? He was quiet for a long time, swinging his legs back and forth and kicking the table. It grated on my nerves, but I knew better than to say anything. It was best to stay quiet when Mother was serious like this. The horse did. The gray one. It told me now that it was big and strong, it was time for me to take what I deserve. Inheritance is not strictly to the eldest. There is plenty of precedent in stories for the youngest child to inherit. However, before that could happen, something had to disqualify the eldest as a worthy successor. I had to be removed. I don't even want the campground. I want to go be a doctor or maybe something with math. I don't like chopping trees or all these other things that live in the campground. Then why did you try to kill me? Kate, enough. Because it told me to, okay? I don't know. It just, it told me to and I did what it said. Go to your room. Don't leave it until we tell you to. Kate, you too. Your dad and I need to talk. Mom and dad argued about what to do with the stallion long into the night. I stayed up, trying to catch snippets of their conversation from the other side of my closed bedroom door. They finally settled on selling it. Mom started searching for a buyer immediately and quickly found one. The dapple gray stallion was a beautiful horse, after all. In the meantime, my brother wasn't allowed out of his room except to use the bathroom and for meals. At night, they locked the door, and they had me sleep at the foot of their bed. At the time, I thought this was a fair punishment. He'd killed my chestnut, after all, and deserved this. I didn't think about how it was all precautions to ensure he didn't try to kill me again. I told you earlier that Louisa was helping us with the horses and that she's now buried in the cemetery. When the buyer arrived, my father sent her to bring the dapple gray stallion to the waiting horse trailer. I was lingering nearby, wanting to see with my own eyes that the horse was gone. This one's a little... difficult. That's what you said over the phone. No, really. I mean it. Don't put it with the other horses. It's already killed one of ours. I won't. Is that it in the field? Damn, it's as big as you claimed. Still want it? Sure. I could use a good workhorse. Just be careful. It's from Goat Valley Campground, after all. Yeah, yeah, I get it. I remember watching as Louisa approached the dapple gray stallion, how she tried to slip a harness over his head and how he let her, and I thought that wasn't right, that he was being too compliant. And then how he snapped his head up and to the side and the reins wrapped around her wrists, and I remember that look of perfect surprise before he turned, pulling her forwards, knocking her off balance so that she fell face first into the ground. I remember him rearing and how he remained there a half second poised in the air, his breath steaming in the early morning chill and the arc of his hooves as he brought them down onto Louisa's skull. I remember how he began to eat her body. 
and I remember my dad's face set into a severe line as he and my mother discussed what to do now. The buyer had left, wanting nothing to do with the horse now. No one could blame him. The police had gone as well, taking what was left of Louisa with them. We can't sell it now. We shouldn't have even tried. I didn't want to kill it. I hoped it could be rehabilitated, I guess, once it was off our land. And now Louisa is dead. She was a good person. She didn't deserve that. She didn't deserve anything that happened to her family. I'll take care of it from here. It's my responsibility. Just keep the kids inside. None of us said anything more to him. We merely looked on in solemn witness as he took the shotgun down and loaded it, tucked it under his arm, and left in the direction of the barn. My mother held my brother as he cried silently. When Dad returned, he said it was done. It wasn't until late that night, after my brother was asleep, that I heard my parents talking downstairs. I'd been sleeping only lightly and woke at the sound of voices. I crept down the hallway to listen. We can't let Tyler find out. No, of course not. I mean, I feel bad lying to them, but it's better if he keeps believing it's dead. Hopefully its influence will fade over time. Assuming we can keep it away from the campground. I'll talk to the town tomorrow. We'll form a hunting party and get rid of it for good. The staff can start work on repairing the barn wall first thing in the morning. We'll tell Tyler we had to replace some of the boards because the shotgun blast damaged it. And not because the horse kicked its way free before you could kill it. Exactly. The only thing Dad's hunting expedition succeeded in was to drive it off for a while. We didn't see the dapple gray stallion after that. Not until the fall. I was walking past the barn when I became aware of a commotion from inside. The barn door was cracked, and I peered inside the dim interior. One of the mares flew through the air past my line of sight and slammed into the wall of the barn. It struggled to stand, crying out in terror as the gray stallion advanced on it. He put one hoof on the mare's shoulder and opened his mouth. His teeth were sharp, and he clamped down on the mare's neck. That desperate, agonizing shriek was finally silenced when the stallion jerked his head back and ripped the mare's throat out. I stood there, transfixed, watching as the horse ate. He turned to look at me, calm, as if daring me to do something about this. Chunks of meat fell from his lips as he chewed. Then he swallowed, turned his head back to the mare, and ripped more meat from her corpse. Why do you stare, little girl? I took a few steps backwards. I knew I needed to run, but my legs felt weak. Meat is best when it is fresh like this. Do you want to try some? No. Then run away, little girl, lest I feel inclined to finish what your brother failed to do. Its laughter sounded like screams. I ran out of the barn through the fields, searching for my dad. He didn't need to be told what was wrong. He ran for the house and returned with his shotgun, heading for the barn. But it was too late. All that was left of the four mares and the one stallion were bones. I helped him bury them out beside the fold. My brother doesn't like horses anymore. Neither do I. You see, the dapple gray stallion is still around. I tell my staff to keep an eye out for hoof prints or horse dung. We let Brian's dogs loose if we find signs. I'm sure it's alarming to the campers to see a pack of enormous hounds running around. 
but it's better than the alternative. We found that the horse will feast on human flesh as readily as the bodies of its own kind. Years later, the dapple gray stallion returned. It didn't enter the campground, for my parents were watching for its return. One of the neighbors saw the hoofprints and warned them that they kept my brother home from school for a few days while my father went out searching for it. The stallion was smart, however. It stayed away in the fields and the forests that spread out like patchwork around the town. It killed one of the locals instead, possibly out of hunger, or possibly because it's a cruel, evil thing. She went out into the field to see why the dogs were in such a panic. The horse stood waiting for her in the early morning mist, its eyes shining like stars from the pale light of the dawn. She thought perhaps it was lost, a neighbor's horse that had broken out of its enclosure. But as she approached, she realized how large it was, how very unnaturally large, and how the hair on the back of her neck stood on end. I know this because she's not the one who died. It was her husband who came running at the sound of her cries. She turned and ran, and the horse ran after her, knocking her over each time she stumbled to her feet. And then when her husband came, carrying a gun, it charged him, cracked his chest open with a hoof, and tore out one of his lungs. She remembered how he continued gasping for a few seconds before expiring, while the horse calmly stood there and chewed on the organ dangling from its mouth. By the time the police arrived, there were only bones left of his body. It left after that. It comes back every handful of years. The locals warn their children to stay away from horses. They watch for hoofprints in the soft earth. Sensible precautions that have kept the horse from claiming any more human victims, at least. It still gets to the livestock every now and then. There are those within the town that are unwilling to tolerate this. They claim that we're the root of all their misfortune. That they could live in peace, not having to watch over our shoulders and be wary of strangers, if only the campground wasn't here. It's a foolish dream. There's always been evil in the world. They just want someone to blame. There's a rot here. It corrupts everything it touches. It brings us monsters and devils. But it also eats at the mundane, the ordinary, the ruined remnants of a lonely horse or the innocent body of a newborn foal. This land has a long history and its share of tragedies. Sometimes they echo down through the years. Remember, we don't keep horses on our campground. If you see a chestnut foal walking through the pasture, know that it won't hurt you. But it isn't really there. Its bones lie buried under the mound on the east side of the field. And if you see an immense gray stallion, be wary of approaching. It isn't on my land anymore, but it's somewhere out there. Perhaps it will merely crack your skull and feast on your body. And perhaps it will accept you as its master and whisper to you dreams of power and position until you are driven to kill the innocent, to slake its hunger, and you are master no more, but slave to the dapple gray horse's bidding. Goat Valley Campgrounds was written and adapted for audio by Bonnie Quinn. Produced for the No Sleep Podcast by Phil Mykolski. Musical score composed by Brandon Boone. 
Starring Lindsay Russo as Kate, Mike Delgadio as Kate's dad, Nicole Doolin as Kate's mom, Wafia White as Louisa, Ellie Hirschman as the Dapple Gray Stallion, Nicole Goodnight as the little girl, Matthew Bradford as Tyler, and Dan Zapula as the buyer. Join us next week for Chapter 5 of Goat Valley Campgrounds. This audio program is copyright 2022 by Creative Reason Media, Inc. All rights reserved. No reproduction or use of this content is permitted without the express written consent of Creative Reason Media, Inc. The copyright for Goat Valley Campgrounds is held by Bonnie Quinn.